So this is the last in our series of words on struggles this morning. Uh, we're going to move into a, a next series uh, of words next week. Uh, but we're going to wrap up our series of, of common words about struggles with the word doubt. Now, before we dig in to uh, doubt and what we're going to be talking about, we need to clear up some common confusion about doubt. And the first thing is this. We often talk about doubt as the opposite of knowledge, right? We say stuff like, if you have any doubts, just come ask. We can study the address doubt with and teaching. Uh, but the opposite of knowledge is really ignorance. It's not doubt. The opposite of knowledge is not doubt. Now, to be clear, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. If you struggle with ignorance, if you have questions about the Bible, if you have misunderstandings, then we should absolutely address those things. I, I don't want to make the, that light of that. If there are things you're wondering about, then yeah, come and ask. I love to study the Bible. I love to talk to people about the Bible, about what's in the Bible. Information you don't understand, I want to study it with you. But doubt is not the opposite of knowledge. Doubt is the opposite of faith. And this is going to be clear as we go through in our study of this word, in, in how the, the Bible uses this word. A couple of passages that really illuminate this difference. James 1, 5 through 8, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Matthew 14, 30. Of course, this is the story of Peter. And of course, Jesus is walking on the water. And then Peter wants to walk on the water. And we'll talk about the story more. But I want to emphasize this part real quick. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you have misunderstandings? That's not what he says, right? This idea of doubt is contrasted not with knowledge, but with faith. Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Doubt is not the opposite of knowledge. It is the opposite of faith. And the story of Peter in 14 is very illuminating in this discussion. Again, we, we sort of set the stage as we think about what's going on in, in Matthew 14. They're out in the boat. The apostles are out in the boat. Peter's in, with them in the boat. There's a storm. It's, everything's going crazy. And they see this figure off in the distance walking towards them on the water. And they're it's a ghost. That's crazy. Like it's, it's me. It's Jesus. Don't be afraid. It's not a ghost. Uh, and Peter's like, if it is you, command me and let me walk out to you on the water. And then he does it. He walks on the water. Peter gets out of the boat and walks on the water towards Jesus. Now, in this story, what does Peter know? We think about knowledge. What does Peter know in this story? Well, he knows what he's seen Jesus do before. Right? He's seen Jesus do a bunch of different miracles already, a bunch of different things that Jesus has done, the power that he's displayed. He knows what Jesus has said about himself, about his power, about who he is. He knows what he's seeing in the moment. He can see there's somebody walking on the water. He knows that that is happening. What about the situation that requires faith? That is to say, what did he want to do that goes beyond what he knows? That's the question as we think about doubt. Doubt is the inability to move beyond knowledge. Or we could say it this way. Doubt is the inability to accept the implications of what you know. What did he need to do that required faith? Well, he had never walked on water. He knows that Jesus can because he can see it. He knows that Jesus has amazing power because he's seen it. He knows that Jesus has said some stuff about himself because he's seen it. But Peter's never walked on water. 
Nobody that he has ever known has ever walked on water. Really all he knows at this point is that Jesus can do it, which is in keeping. And if that were really Jesus, did Jesus have the power to enable him? Again, the faith that was required is, I know all these different facts, but I'm going to take a step out on faith and move beyond what I know to what is possible because of what I know. I know who Jesus is. I know what Jesus can do. And so then where was the doubt in Peter's situation? Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? What happened? He starts walking on the water. He is acting on faith. And then he looks around and what? He sees the winds and the waves and he becomes afraid. The doubt is not that Peter forgot what he had known, right? It's not like Peter suddenly misunderstood the power of Jesus or he forgot, oh yeah, Jesus has this power, right? The knowledge did not change. That's not what changed in Peter's mind. His emotional turmoil, the danger aroused him, around him, caused him to waver. This word waver is going to come up several times. To hesitate, to act on what you know. In this case, the walking on the water, his, he was doing the impossible, and we would say, we could say it this way, his doubt was the return to what was knowable. The return to his knowledge that people can't walk on water, of course, nobody can walk on water. His return to what he knew to be true, that was the doubt. His inability to accept that which was impossible to accept that which what was beyond his knowledge. And so then we truly understand doubt by understanding faith. Hebrews 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Again, I have to, we have to emphasize this. If faith is the thing that moves us beyond knowledge, doubt is the inability to do that. Doubt is remaining in what is plainly knowable and refusing to go beyond that. We have to make this distinction again. The, th- the faith is not the same. I just said a bunch of this stuff. Oh, no, here's a new thing. How many people know the story of Jesus but don't believe it to be true? A lot. A lot of people. Now, maybe they don't know all the intricacies. They haven't read the Bible, whatever. But there are a lot of people who have read the whole Bible that don't believe a lick of it. Faith is not the same as knowledge. You can know what's in the Bible without having faith. Indeed, we construct our faith on the foundations of what we know, right? The words of the Bible, the evidence of the natural world, the things that we've experienced, these are the foundations of understanding that we have, but faith has to move us past that because a ton of people know the stuff and don't have faith. And so at a certain point, we are required to move beyond what is concretely knowable, what Hebrews 11 seen to something more and Romans says it this way in Romans 8 25 who hopes for what he sees for that which is seen is not hope we have to move beyond what is empirically knowable and then doubt is the inability or struggle to take this step or we could say it more doubt is the inability to act upon the faith that you should have that which causes us to waver or to hesitate That is what doubt is. So what causes us to doubt? What prevents us from believing the things of God that are folly to the world? Or what prevents us from being able to take the things that we know about God to their logical conclusion? The conclusion that actually moves beyond what is knowable, what is possible, what is mundane. We can say it in our language of our class, beyond what is holy and common, what is set apart and what is mundane. What prevents us from taking that step? 2 Corinthians 4.13 
Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what was written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise Jesus, uh, will also raise with, oh, I said it wrong. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will also with Jesus bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake so that his grace extends more and more to more and more people. It may increase to thanksgiving to the glory of God. And here's the phrase that I want to emphasize. So we do not lose heart. Okay, the first part of this is all about belief. I know what Jesus said. I believe the things are true. I believe the implications of those things. I want more people to know. So I don't lose heart even though what? Even though our outer is wasting away. Our inner self, our soul, is being renewed day by day. This light, momentary affliction. You lose your job. Somebody has cancer. Somebody's in a car wreck. Do you consider that to be a light, momentary affliction? Oh, it's, well, I always think of the Monty Python, right? It is but a flesh wound, right? He's lost both arms and legs. That's kind of how Paul's acting, though, right? These things that we undergo... Ah, it's just a light momentary affliction. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for the weight of eternal glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What causes us to doubt? We lose heart. The suffering and the struggle of life pulls us back to the mundane, to the common, to the knowable. Because what I see and what I know and what I feel is that life is horrible and suffering is present and there's a lot of bad stuff going on. And then I can no longer see, I no longer look to what's beyond that. To the, to the, the unseen world. My suffering pulls me out of my faith me out of my ability to go beyond what is plainly knowable because it keeps me anchored here. My suffering and my struggle, if I keep that in my mind, if I'm upset to let me lose heart, to make me lose heart, then I will begin to doubt. And that is exactly what happened to Peter, right? He's walking on water, doing the impossible, but then the suffering is, is suffering, but we're analogy, right? The difficulty Around him, the storm around him pulled him back to what he knew to be true. Oh, wait, nobody can walk on water. What am I doing? Why am I out here? Oh, my goodness, what is going on? And then he starts to sink. That's what happens to us when we lose heart. Romans 4.18. In hope, he believed, this is Abraham. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. This is the knowledge, right? Everybody knows that nobody can have kids over a certain age. That's the knowable thing. Faith is the thing that needed to push him beyond what was knowable to the unknowable, to the impossible. He did not weaken in faith. What we would say, he did not doubt when he considered his own body. Oh, God says this is going to happen. That's impossible. Wow, that can't possibly happen. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver. Here's that word again. Concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And here's the opposite of doubt. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. We begin to doubt when we either don't think about or we forget, or we just plain disbelieve, 
that God can and will do what he's promised. That's when we begin to doubt. When either we don't think about the things that God has promised, or we're not sure that he can do it for us, or if we're unsure that he will do it for us, the things that he has promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, because he did not doubt. Now, did that make him perfect? No. He did some bad stuff. He did, made some mistakes. The fact that he didn't doubt was not a means of perfection, but he was willing to persist in doing what God wanted because he did not doubt that what God said would come to pass. And as we think about our struggle of doubt, fundamentally, that's what it comes down to. We have suffering in life. We have difficulty in life. We have things that are going on in our lives and we forget or we stop thinking about that God's promises will come to pass. Whatever those are that apply to your life. Now, in all of us, it's heaven, but there's some more specific promises too, right? John 20, verse 24. I like this story a lot. In fact, I should have told you to lead this song, but it's okay. John 20, verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, this is after Jesus rose from the dead, right? Was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, and I want you to know the attitude here. How many of us have this attitude? This is an arrogant attitude, right? I won't believe it unless I see it. That's kind of the, the exact opposite of what we're going for here, right? If we're thinking about faith as assurance of things not seen, we're thinking that those, we set our minds on the things that are unseen for the things that are unseen are eternal, the things that are seen are transient. That's the exact opposite of what Thomas is doing here. He said to them, unless I see the hands and the mark of his nails and place my finger in the, the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Thomas was unable to move beyond the knowable. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. We, this is why we call him Doubting Thomas. This is, this is the story. Why? Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Play, uh, Peace be with you. He said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, This is relevant for us. Have you believed because you have seen? He didn't really have faith. Now, later on he did, I think. Right here he's not having faith. His knowledge, which is what Jesus says. Believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. We are not going to get the evidence that Thomas got. We just aren't. Which is why Jesus says we're blessed if we can still believe in what Jesus has said, if we can still have faith in his resurrection. How then ultimately do we overcome this insidious struggle, this difficulty in moving beyond what is knowable to the impossible, moving beyond what is empirically provable to that which is transcendent? How do we overcome this? Number one, first, yes, I want to reiterate, we should address ignorance and misunderstandings. Even though knowledge is not the opposite of doubt, even though we understand that we have to move beyond knowledge, we still need to address ignorance. Because our faith is built on a foundation of knowledge, the knowledge of God's word, the knowledge of how we understand who God is. And, and you know, Romans, we're talking about Romans in our, well, it's going to be Tuesday night study now. We just did Romans 1 about uh, we can, the things that can be known about God that are plain in nature, right? We know some things. 
if you have questions about that which is knowable about God or his word, yeah, we need to fix that. Because of course you're going to doubt if you don't have the right knowledge. If faith is that which moves beyond knowledge and you don't even have the knowledge, well, yeah, you're going to have doubt. So if you have doubts in that sense, that is, if you misunderstand something about the Bible, please come and talk to me. Maybe you don't want to talk to me. Maybe I'm super intimidating because of my scintillating intellect or my jerky nature, whatever it is. I don't know. There's a ton of people here who to study with you. I mean, just looking around, I can see 20, 30, 40 people that would study the Bible with you if you wanted to do that. Don't wallow in ignorance. Secondly, we must immerse ourselves in a faithful community. If you want to overcome doubt, it's going to require other people. Other people who are attempting to do the same thing that you're attempting to do, which is to move beyond mere knowledge. What does he say in 1 Thessalonians 5.14? We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Doubt is a form of weakness that we can help you with, that others in this room would like to help you with if you are faint-hearted. What did he say previously? So we do not lose heart, even though our outer self is wasting away. If you have suffering in your life that is pulling you out of faith, that is centering you and, and, and anchoring you in this world, and you're having, the, you're having a struggle beyond and accepting the promises of God, please let us know because we want to help. Partially because we love you, but if that's not enough, because we're commanded to help you. Jude 1, 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. He says some other interesting stuff here. Now I'm going to direct my words to those of you who are in here who, I don't struggle with doubt. I'm doing great. I'm happy for you. Really, I am. That means you have a responsibility to help those who are not. If you're here and you don't feel like you're struggling with doubt, look around and see who you can help who is. We have a responsibility with one another to have mercy on those who are doubting. Those who are struggling to move into that transcendent experience of God, that which moves beyond knowledge. We're not to look on them and disdain and, and judgment and think about, oh, you're just not good enough. But to have mercy that extends to encouraging and help. Right? That's the first Thessalonians. Finally, I want to consider one who also doubted. In Mark chapter 9, verse 21. In this story, we see Something that I think is how most of us have been at one point in our lives. Most of us have probably felt this guy's struggle at some point. And Jesus answered, the, uh, asked the father. So this is a father who comes to Jesus. He has a problem with his, his child and he's wanting help. He's come to Jesus to have, ask help for help. Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often cast him into the fire and into water. He's been possessed by a spirit to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. It's kind of interesting because faith and doubt are not an either or. This is not a switch that you flip on and off. This is a gradient. This is a journey of growth. The guy obviously believes something about 
Jesus, and we can think of knowledge, right? What knowledge does the man have? The man knows who Jesus is because he came and sought him out. He knows that Jesus has power because he's heard all these stories about Jesus' miraculous ability. He even believes that Jesus has power, right? Because he came. He wouldn't have come otherwise. But there's this little word if in the sentence, right? If you can do anything. And see it in what Jesus says to him. Jesus says, and again, I almost wonder how he says this. Like, is he indignant? If you can. Why did you come all this way if it was an if? If you thought it was an if. Why did you come here? If you can. Of course I can. All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of child... I believe. Help my unbelief. Because he believes partway. He's, he's halfway there. He believes enough that he came to Jesus, but he doubts that Jesus will help him. Either he doubts that Jesus can, or he doubts that Jesus will. And in your prayers, you have the same struggle. Because you know what Jesus has done. You know who God is. You know what God has done for you. You know what God has done in creation. You know what God has done in the Bible. But we ask God, if, if you can, please do whatever, whatever it is. And God looks down at us in our pitiful little minds. And he says, if, if I can, of course I can, of course. And the father understands that. And he understands his own doubts. I believe, help my unbelief. Help me to move beyond what I know to that which is impossible. Impossible not for God. All things are possible for the one who believes, but impossible for the world. Impossible for those who do not have God. Impossible for those who do not know God. This man, how did he demonstrate both faith and doubt? He had faith enough to come to Jesus, but still was uncertain that Jesus would help him. And as you're thinking about your life, I want you to consider two, two questions as we conclude. Number one, how is your prayer life? Because if you're not praying, you're doubting. That will lead us to doubt. If you're not praying as you should, I 100% can guarantee you, you will begin to struggle with doubt. The less you pray, the more doubt will creep in. Prayer is how we express our faith, right? Prayer is how we ask God for these things that we're asking for. We think about what James said, if anyone of you lacks wisdom, let him ask in faith without doubting. Number two, what are you doing that requires faith? Let me rephrase that. What are you doing that seems impossible? Right? If faith is that which moves us beyond what is normal... Faith is that which moves us beyond what is just mundane knowledge into that which is impossible for those who do not have faith. What are you doing in your life that requires faith? And if the answer is nothing, that is you're not doing anything in your life that seems impossible if you don't have God, then one of two things is true. Either you are doubting, and that's why you're not doing those things, or you will soon begin to doubt because you're not exercising that faith muscle. One of those two things is going to be true. And so we think about the struggle of doubt. Maybe that's you today. There are two real concrete things we can do right now. Number one, 
If you're struggling with doubt, let us know. That's what we're offering the invitation for, right? To let us know that we can encourage and admonish and instruct and, and help you. Number two, something you're not going to do right now, but something you can do this week, start doing the impossible. Ask God to do the impossible in your life. And start doing things that require more than simple knowledge. Things that the world would seem foolish, right? Things that the world would consider ridiculous. Start doing those things. And watch as your faith grows. As we offer the invitation, trust and obey is the invitation song that we will sing. I hope you do trust and obey. I hope you trust enough to obey. We could say it that way, right? Do you trust enough to obey? If you know what you need to do to become a Christian, we offer that invitation now. If you believe in him, you're ready to confess, to repent, to be united with him in immersion. You have an opportunity to do so. Come while we stand and sing.